Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and tuning up. This is Scott Jensen with my Ancient Wisdom Modern Health Podcast. Here, I share and explain how to get and stay healthy with Tai Chi, Qigong, and Kung Fu. Mixing interviews with incredible people and my own insights and experiences, we look for timeless wisdom and proven practices to be healthy and happy today. In today's podcast, I will be answering some questions submitted to us at email address ask at ancientwisdommodernhealth.com. If you have questions based on any of our podcasts, I would be delighted if you sent them to me and I'll do my best to answer them for you. These questions are from Sean Lim, who is doing a good job putting in a few questions. Dear Sifu, thank you for consistent encouragement and inspiration. After listening to the Ignite Your Fire episode, I felt very motivated and trained with much enthusiasm. In this sense, the podcast has served as an appreciated source of support during these unpredictable times. A couple of questions arose when contemplating my motivation for training. One, how does Qigong and Kung Fu relate to the path of enlightenment? What are the psychological benefits of knowing how to defend yourself very well? Three, are there ways we can develop the skills that come from sparring with a partner during this time of isolation? Well wishes to you, Rachel, and the school. Gratitude, Sean. How does Qigong and Kung Fu relate to the path of enlightenment is one of those questions which is interesting because it has so many assumptions that they themselves need to be questioned before we can answer the question itself. Unfortunately, in this case, most of these questions are largely unanswerable. So what kind of question is this? The path of enlightenment. How can we ask a question, what is the path to enlightenment? Who could answer this question, what is the path to enlightenment? It sounds like you would already have traversed the path to enlightenment and be an enlightened person if you were going to talk about the path to enlightenment. So who could answer this question? Even if there was an answer, who could understand the answer if they weren't enlightened already? So then we have to wonder, what is enlightenment? What is the path to enlightenment? What isn't the path to enlightenment? Do you know anyone who's enlightened? Not to be rude, but how could you? How could you know if someone was enlightened? I mean, how could you possibly know, actually, if they were enlightened, if you weren't enlightened yourself first? In European philosophy, we have a branch called epistemology, and this is the study of knowledge. Probably it should be called the study of the limits of knowledge. We really, in epistemology, try to wonder, is it possible to know anything? Is it possible to know the truth? What are the limits of our mind? What are the limits of our capacity to understand and know? Is being enlightened even possible? Is this enlightenment path really a massive placebo pyramid scheme for everyone involved? What if it is and it works anyways? What does that mean? 
So some questions have so many assumptions that need to be answered, they're rather difficult to even start asking and answering the question. When we say that questions are unanswerable, what that really means is that you can answer these questions, but the answers might not be that helpful. And you might really seriously have to consider the limits, the ability of any human to actually assess whether the answer that you have is a true answer or a correct answer. Personally, I would assume that anyone with incredible magical powers, they can fly, they can heal masses of people, they're walking on the water, they're creating serious miracles. Perhaps that's a a sign of enlightenment. Perhaps it's a byproduct of enlightenment. Perhaps those are acts of God that have nothing to do with us. Perhaps those are really the result of a feverish mind. Now, it is a reasonable question because we all are practicing Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, and that did come from the Shaolin Temple, which is a Buddhist temple, and Buddha talked about enlightenment, and there is a path of enlightenment, and Northern Shaolin Kung Fu is considered to be one of those paths of enlightenment. So although this is a difficult and unanswerable question, we're just going to keep going anyways. That does sound like the Shaolin Temple and the birthplace of Zen, doesn't it? Well, there is a mystery. We're not really sure what the mystery is, but this mystery does appear to be universal. Heaven, earth, human, all the cultures and people are trying to answer this question and solve this mystery. And how they answer this question and how they pursue it is one of the things that binds them together as a culture. Now, people do grow, people change, and in varying degrees, people become deeper and wiser. And there are paths that our cultures have created that allow us perhaps to move a little bit faster through this process. When I'm thinking about a path, a spiritual path, I think that there's several elements that often are combined. Sometimes there's mostly one and very little of the others, but often there's a mix. And the elements that I see combined are service, meaning service to someone else or something else. It could be the deity, the mystery. It could be helping out at the local hospital, but service, devotion. And by devotion, that's like loving the mystery, loving the deity, saying prayers, singing hymns, chanting, all of those where your devotion to the deity and mystery. There's often a matter of ordeal, something that's physically very difficult and challenging. And there's often an element of ritual. All of these, the service, devotion, the ordeal, the ritual, all of these are means to achieve concentration. All of these paths contain these elements, and they often combine them with breathing and motion and stillness in different ways. If you combine concentration with inquiry, with a question, insight will result. The depth, the clarity, the profundity, the accuracy of the insight that results from your concentration is really dependent on the clarity of your question and by primarily how deep your state of concentration is. In another podcast, we'll discuss states of concentration as taught by Buddha. And in another one, we'll also look at some of the objects that people and ways that people will concentrate.
Well, where does this lead us with Qigong and Kung Fu? The purpose of Qigong here is to resolve the distractions of the body and to provide a foundation for your practice. If you're in pain, that can be a real distraction to concentrating on anything else. If you're too sick or too weak, you can't really concentrate. When you do start actually practicing breathing and concentrating, well, what often happens next? Well, belching, flatulence, joint popping, muscular pain, joint aches, sinuses popping, nose running, eyes watering, saliva in the mouth, all sorts of things happen. Now, all of these can be natural, and they can all be signs that your chi is moving and healing your body, and they probably are a result of your breathing method, but they will all also knock you right out of any deep state of concentration or prevent you from entering it in the first place. So this is the foundation, is healing your body, mastering your body, quieting your body so you can enter a deep state of concentration. This is the real foundation of spiritual practice. This is step number one when you go to the temple. You don't start with the greatest mysteries and the high-level practices. You start by becoming healthy and building your energy and building your ability to focus your mind with great intensity. Another way to describe this is that Qigong first helps you build your Jing. As we discussed in Jing, Qi, and Shen podcasts, which I recommend you go back and listen to, building your Jing means realizing your genetic potential and building a healthy body. Then your Qigong helps you build your Qi, your energy. If you are meditating, you will be acting using energy and using your energy to become wiser, to become a better person. This does take energy. For most of us, most of the time, this means reflecting on the results of our previous actions and words and using introspection to learn about ourselves. This is the point where martial arts, classical combat-oriented kung fu and other styles of martial arts becomes truly helpful. Introspection requires courage and honesty. The entire nature of our minds makes it easy for us, almost inevitable for us to be filled with semi-accurate approximations of reality. There are real limits to our knowledge, limits to our knowledge about the world, limits about our knowledge of one another, and limits to our knowledge about ourselves. It is very easy to fool ourselves into thinking, all sorts of things might be true when they aren't. This is where we need ruthless and continuous questioning. It is super easy to think you are concentrating. Of course, every time that thought occurs, it is self a thought and a distraction. It is easy to think, I am in a deep state of concentration. Ah, I am so spiritual. In martial arts, classical combat martial arts, you can think, I am great at dodging. I dodge every punch. But if you don't move your head, you are going to get hit. If the opponent is superior, you will face a moment of truth. You can say, I'm the greatest. You can think, I am the greatest. All you want, that is, until you are knocked unconscious. And then when you wake up, you'll remember that your name isn't Muhammad Ali. 
When we test in martial arts, the truth of who is better is very clear. To dodge, you must concentrate now in the present moment incredibly intensely. Every failure to concentrate is punished immediately. The Grand Master of Capoeira, Bira Almeida, known as Master Accordion, was one of my teachers in the 1980s. He was a profound man teaching a way and a path. He taught four levels of playing Capoeira. Playing in the dark, playing in the water, playing in the light, and playing with the mind. In the dark, you're sparring or playing with a partner is scary, it's frightening, it's confusing, it's hard to understand. It's like you're in a dark room full of furniture and you're banging around. After a while, you start to find where things are and your eyes adjust and you get used to it a little bit more and you start to see what's happening and you're starting to respond at the right times and you start to see opportunities perhaps, but you see them vaguely and you can't really take advantage of them. Now, when you start to progress with practice, you'll start to see what's going on more and more. And you'll have built courage by building your skill and being brave. You're starting to conquer your fear by becoming familiar and consistently successful with the skills that you need. You can see clearly then. It's like you're in the room with the lights are on. You're able to watch your opponent's moves clearly. And you're able to watch how they're interacting with you and playing with you. Now, the final level is when you're playing with your mind. In this level, you see your opponent's mind and you're commanding your opponent to fall into your traps with your will. This level is using your shen or spirit in our terms. Now, it takes real courage to admit to ourselves when we are wrong, to clearly look at the shortcomings of our actions and words and admit to ourselves, hmm, I did screw that up, or I sure made a mistake in this part. If you can't do this honestly, your spiritual path to enlightenment is still looking for the starting gate. Martial arts is very honest and humbling. In a good class, even highly conditioned athletes will be easily defeated in every counter when paired with senior partners. Many people, especially the ones that are used to continuous success in athletic activities, simply cannot endure how humbling this can be. Being humble before mystery is a good place to begin. If your mind is easily distracted and wandering around constantly, any skilled boxer will quickly knock you out. If your opponent is ready, it is really hard to advance. However, if their mind wanders, if their gaze wanders, if their readiness wanders, they're defenseless. They're like a punching bag, like a baby. It is a mistake in martial arts to think you are protecting your body with your body. How is this possible? Your body still gets hit. 
perhaps in a less tender spot. No, we actually protect our bodies with our minds. We protect our body with our concentration, presence, willpower, and readiness. And if these are not your primary weapons, you haven't reached the highest levels of skill. You certainly won't get there without admitting to yourself there is room for improvement in your horse stance, in your hand strength, in your foundation kicks and footwork, and in all your sparring skills. When you can focus your mind on your opponent or partner and not get distracted by their attempts to strike and throw you, to intimidate you, and to trick you, you'll probably find it easier to hold your concentration during contemplation and then fruitfully digest the insights it creates. You'll also probably find it easier to walk down the street with a smile on your face, confident and unafraid, ready to encounter new people, new places, and new experiences while being centered, present, calm, and ready. Thank you for listening. Please be careful and take appropriate actions and plan what you need to do. And until our next podcast, keep moving, stay well, and be happy. Thank you for joining me and listening in. Please remember to subscribe and share. If you have questions, please send them to ask at ancientwisdommodernhealth.com.